Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for our special series, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, an eight-week journey designed to help you develop a deeply rooted spirituality in Christ. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. There's so much more to your story than what's on the surface. God is calling you to dive deeper, to see how your joys, losses, dreams, and experiences have shaped you. What will the Holy Spirit speak to your soul? through Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Hey, what's up, Liquid Church? Let's give a big welcome to all of our live locations and church online. It is great to see you guys. I'm so glad that you are here for week five of our series, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Now, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Kyra, and I have the enormous privilege of overseeing our campuses here at Liquid Church and for the past two months, I have been traveling through all of our locations, helping our campuses relaunch post-COVID. And today, our Liquid Mercer location is launching. Can we hear it for Liquid Mercer? We are rooting for you guys today. But I'm really excited to be back in Parsippany, and I hope that you have been growing as we dive deep into this eight-part discipleship series that our small groups are going through this fall. I have been so encouraged to see so many of our small groups over Zoom on Wednesday night. That's the night that I get to teach. And just getting to hear and see glimpses of what the Holy Spirit is doing in each of your lives, even though I know some of it is painful. I just want to encourage you, keep making this time a priority. This is an investment in your relationship with God, and He loves us way too much to leave us in the same place. So be encouraged, church. Now, last week, Pastor Tim talked about journey through the wall. And I don't know about you, church, but that was hard. That was hard for me because it actually reminded me of the wall that my husband, Jose, and I hit when our son Andy was diagnosed with Down syndrome 10 years ago. I mean, talking about all of that stuff just brought up a lot of those feelings, which explains why today we're gonna be talking about enlarging your soul through grief and loss. Now, I know some of you are thinking, oh my gosh, how much darker are we gonna get up in here? Church, let me encourage you, press on and trust that God is gonna to speak to you today. Because today we're gonna to join Jesus in the garden on his knees with communion. So I wanna give Church Online a heads up. You're gonna to wanna to go get your communion elements. Now, when I say loss, I think we automatically think about people who die. But here's the reality. All of life is loss, okay? Let me, let me give you some examples. Some of you have lost your youthfulness Church, I'm sorry to say, no amount of skincare is going to bring collagen back to your neck, okay? That's why I'm wearing a turtleneck today. <laughs> but in a more serious note, some of you have lost dreams of careers, marriage, children you hoped for. Every time you change jobs, 
you immigrate to a new country, you move, it's a loss. Some of you have children who are growing up and now you're losing influence over your kids while at the same time you're adding a caregiver role of your elderly parents, that's a loss. And then some of you, at one point or another, you've experienced what we call catastrophic loss. A family member has died, a spouse had an affair, found yourself single again after a painful divorce like Kristen last week. By the way, can we thank her for her incredible honesty? We were so blessed by her story. Maybe some of you were diagnosed with cancer. You lost your job after 25 years of stable employment. Or you have a child with special needs, or you're navigating through infertility, you've had miscarriages. All of that are catastrophic losses. Now think about what we lost during COVID. Guys, we lost our schedule. We lost our rhythms. Our kids lost all of their academic progress. Some people lost their jobs. We even lost our freedom during quarantine. It has been excruciatingly hard, hard season of loss. So understand when I talk about loss, I'm not just talking about death. I'm talking about all sorts of different losses. And with loss comes grief. And grieving actually differs from family to family and from culture to culture, okay? It's actually really interesting to see how people deal with grief. For example, I'm a hot-blooded Puerto Rican, Puerto Rican, we're very expressive. We talk with our hands, so we grieve with our hands and our bodies. In fact, I grew up watching people weeping over an open coffin, calling out the dead person's name. The women would wear black. I've heard of other families who even jump into the grave and weep over it. So I'm curious, what's it like for you? Because the one thing that we all have in common is that in our Western culture, we interpret loss as alien invasions. You guys remember that movie Independence Day with Will Smith? Aliens come out of nowhere. That's how we feel about loss. Come out of nowhere, interrupts our normal everyday life, and we have no idea what to do or how to respond to it. And so our default becomes to deal with our losses and with our pain with addiction. We keep busy, we work 70 hours a week, we overeat, overdrink, we take pills, we watch TV, we indulge in pornography, we overshop, anything that can help us take away our pain. And then we come to church and we're not really taught how to grieve. We're taught to rejoice in the Lord always. We're taught to sing. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where, people? Down in my heart. But very rarely, if ever, are we actually taught how to deal with loss. One of my earliest memories as a little kid growing up in church was of a woman who was like a spiritual grandmother to everyone in our church. She was a prayer warrior. In fact, I know for a fact to this day, she still prays for me and my family. So understand, there's a lot of gratitude in my heart as I share this story. But I remember when her husband passed away, my family attended the wake. I was about maybe like 12 years old, and this was my first real interaction with death. And so I went up to her and I asked her, how are you doing? Church, she gave me the most Christianese response that I could have ever heard. She raised her hand in a fist and she said, I'm walking in victory. And I remember thinking, wow, 
I guess she didn't really love her husband that much. Not true, of course. But that's about the range of emotions that some Christ followers display during loss. And the problem is that when we come to church feeling sad, we feel guilty or like there's something wrong with us, like we're failing at being spiritual because we need to be joyful and we need to deny our feelings of loss and grief. And I understand why we do it. I mean, turning toward our pain is very counterintuitive. But here's our main idea for today. God wants to enlarge your soul through grief and loss. And it isn't a popular topic in church, but it is in the Bible. The Bible actually contains a lot of books that talk about grief and loss. We have an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations. Two thirds of the Psalms are laments and complaints to God. In fact, one of my favorite Psalms reminds us that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and comes to save those who are crushed in spirit. So today we're gonna join Jesus in the garden and if we're honest, we all want to join Jesus when he's calling us into the water to walk with him. We want to join Jesus when he's multiplying the loaves and the fishes because we want to see a miracle. Nobody wants to join Jesus in the garden. But we're going to do that today. We're going to join Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is a picture of the Garden of Gethsemane, which we'll visit in Israel when we finally get to go. And you can see from this picture, it is a beautiful, secluded garden, the perfect place to seek solitude. And it's located right outside the walls of Jerusalem. And Jesus would often take his disciples here to get away from the crowds and rest. But this time was different because what we're about to read takes place right before Jesus is arrested, when he's about to experience the worst grief and loss of his life. Let's join Jesus in the garden by turning to Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36. Then Jesus went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Now, who's he talking to? Well, Jesus is talking to his 12 disciples, okay? He's told them he's gonna go to Jerusalem, he's gonna be betrayed at the hands of sinners, crucified, and then he's gonna be raised from the dead in three days. But the disciples have no sweet clue what he's talking about. And so he tells them, I need to go and spend time with the Father to prepare my heart for what I'm about to go through. And out of those 12, there were three in the inner circle. Who were they? Let's keep reading. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, anybody know who they were? James and John, along with him. And he began to be, what's the word church? Sorrowful and troubled. Now this is hard for us to understand because we like to think of Jesus as the triumphant king, powerful and caring, but Jesus is actually very sad. He's upset. In fact, verse 38 says, then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Anybody here ever feel so bad you actually want to die? Because that's how Jesus is feeling. His anguish is so big, it's big enough to kill him because Jesus is wrestling with the reality of his coming crucifixion and he's feeling crushed. 
Gethsemane in Aramaic means olive press. Now in Jesus's time, this was the place where they pressed and crushed olives to produce olive oil. Olive oil was a precious commodity back then. It was used for cooking, medicine, even anointing kings. And as you can see, this is a garden full of ancient gnarled olive trees. Some of them are even 900 years old. You know what that means, church? Gethsemane is the original olive garden. Just no breadsticks, please. <laughs> but Jesus is in this garden and he's telling his disciples, I'm overwhelmed with grief. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Verse 39 says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Church, I want you to imagine the emotions that Jesus was feeling here. In fact, I want to show you this ancient mosaic of Jesus. That is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane agonizing in prayer. He's full of sorrow and grief. In fact, Luke chapter 22 describes Jesus as having his sweat like drops of blood falling to the ground. So understand Jesus's physical position, face to the ground, sweat full of blood points to his spiritual condition. Jesus, is extremely distressed. He's wrestling with his father and he's bringing all of his feelings in front of God. He doesn't wanna do what God is asking him to do. That's why he says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. By the way, what cup? is Jesus actually talking about the cup of suffering. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he's going to complete the mission that his father gave him to suffer and to die, to lay down his life for the sins of the world, for all of eternity. God the Father and God the Son had been in perfect unity, but Jesus was about to be crucified. There is a cross in his path and a crown of thorns in his future because the one who had no sin was about to be sin for us. And Jesus knew the moment he took on the sin of the world, he wouldn't just experience physical pain. He would experience all of the separation, all of the judgment, all of the punishment required by God. It's why Jesus would cry out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's no surprise that Jesus is praying for the cup of suffering to pass.
my father, if it is at all possible, may this cup be taken from me. Translation, is there any way that I can get out of this, daddy? Because I don't want to go through this. Anybody here have something that they're dreading? You don't want to go through it because it's a huge loss. Maybe it's a divorce that isn't final and you're actually dreading having to sign those papers. Maybe there's a meeting at school with one of your children and you are dreading meeting with his team. Jesus is dreading the cross. So he starts pouring out his feelings and his losses to God. And I want to highlight three things that Jesus brings to the garden as he embraces his grief and his loss in a spiritually healthy way. First, Jesus brings his pain into the garden. He knows Judas is about to betray him. He's about to be arrested. The cross is before him and he's about to leave the other 11 disciples after three years of being their teacher, their healer, and their friend. This is a massive loss. So he's not going to spin or spiritualize his grief. He's not going to numb or medicate himself. He actually brings his pain with him into the garden. And then he brings his people around him. Because you can't go into this journey alone. You know, we tend to isolate when we're hurting, when we're grieving. But Jesus actually took companions with him. And he actually leans into community because he knows he needs his people for emotional support. And once he brings them, do you know what he does? He actually admits his grief to those closest to him. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He tells them how he feels. And then he asks for their help. Stay here and keep watch with me. The third thing that Jesus brings is his desire to prayerfully process his pain with God. He repeatedly prays to his father for an alternative, a different outcome. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Church, when was the last time that you actually told God you were sad? That you actually prayed and cried before his presence? For some of us, it's been years, but not for Jesus. He brings his pain to the Father and he prayerfully processes with him. By the way, this is what we call the passion of the Christ. People think of passion as meaning the love of Jesus, but that's not actually what it means. Passion actually means suffering. Jesus was flooded with anguish, sorrow, grief, and he's modeling to us the first step to biblical grieving, which is to pay attention to your grief and loss. Guys, grieving is not possible if you don't pay attention to your situation, to yourself, to your feelings. And Jesus is showing us that instead of denying or minimizing or avoiding his feelings, we're actually to present them to God. Because when we don't process before God the very emotions that make us humans, emotions like anger or fear or sadness or sorrow or overwhelm, do you know what happens? We leak. Can you guys say leak? Everybody say it with me, leak. What I mean by leak 
is that when we stuff difficult emotions down, those same emotions have a way of coming out. Whether it's passive aggressive behavior, whether it's a little sarcasm, a cutting tone here, a nasty tone of voice there, the giving of the silent treatment, you guys get the idea, right? Well, a few weeks ago, I went into work for a meeting that I was responsible for leading, but I was running late. I'd forgotten one of my kids had needed a smock for art class. I'd been trying to order some last minute costumes for Halloween because, you know, Amazon is now delaying, there was traffic. So by the time I got into the meeting, I was completely harried and distracted. And I started to apologize. I went in and I'm like, guys, I am so sorry. There was so much traffic. Andy forgot his smog. I had to drive back to school. And, and you know, I'm ordering the costumes for the Halloween school parade. They're not going to get here in time. And guys, I just really want to, I just really want to tell you that I'm sorry. I literally burst into tears. Now, the way I feel about tears at work is the way that Tom Hanks feels about tears in Major League Baseball. There's simply no crying in baseball, okay? I was mortified. I have to say, the team was amazing. They prayed, they ministered to me. But the next morning, after my kids had gone to school, I joined Jesus in the garden. I actually went into my home office. I closed the door. And I got out my journal, and I asked this question, Jesus, what am I sad about? Guys, I was moving so fast, I couldn't have named what was wrong. So I spent some time in silence and solitude. Because remember, silence and solitude are a daily discipline. Long after this series is over, we actually want those to become habits and daily rhythms in your lives. And so I was in silence and solitude. And I began to reflect. And I realized, man, this has been a really busy season in ministry. And this is what I wrote. This is actually what I wrote. Jesus, I'm sad. I feel like a full-time pastor, but a part-time mom. Guys, you have to know, I love being a pastor. I have no doubt that I'm doing with my life what God has called me to do, but I also love being a mom. I love my kids. I love to be with them. And I didn't realize I'm actually grieving the time that I wasn't able to spend with them. Anybody ever felt like that? Like there's just not enough hours in a day because that's how I felt. I felt like there's just not enough of me to go around and it left me feeling acute loss. But you know what? Shame as well. Because I started to believe I'm not doing enough for my kids and I'm failing as a mom. But instead of pouring all of those feelings before the Lord and joining him in the garden, I just kept putting, pushing through. I stuffed them down. I kept putting one foot in front of the other until eventually I leaked, bursting into tears at a team meeting. And you know what? As I was reflecting, Jesus actually brought something to the surface that is even more painful that's going on right now in our own family's life. And it just brings so much grief and pain to my soul. I would actually share it with you. I probably will share it at some point, but I, I just can't right now. 
It is so tender and so raw. I just can't do it. Is that okay? I just want you to know I am in the garden right now. I am bringing my pain. I'm putting people around me and I'm bringing him my prayers. I'm prayerfully processing it with him. That's what it means to pay attention to your grief and your loss, to actually name what we're feeling. Because refusing to wrestle with God by paying attention to your difficult emotions can sometimes have devastating consequences. Guys, when we fail to pay attention to your loss, it can actually kill your ability to love. Something dies within you and you become emotionally numb and flat. And that's why I will be forever grateful that Jesus chose another way to deal with his grief, that he chose to enter his personal dark night of the soul, like we learned about last week, rather than medicate himself because we enjoy the fruits of his decision to this day. And here's the key. We actually don't know how long Jesus wrestled with his feelings before God, but we know it took a while because we have clues. His sweat turning to blood actually means his capillaries burst. That's a condition called hematohydrosis, where you're under such extraordinary stress that your blood vessels literally burst. And that doesn't happen quickly, okay? So let's keep joining Jesus in the garden. And I want you to pay attention to how many times Jesus prays. Verse 39, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. So that's prayer number one. Everybody go. Numero uno. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Church, how many of you have fallen asleep praying? I just want to tell you, Jesus is onto you, okay? You are busted. You can't fool him. And he tells his disciples, couldn't you men keep watch with me for an hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away, everybody, a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more. And what's the word, church? Prayed the third time, saying the same thing. How many times does Jesus pray, church? Three times. Now, this is highly significant because in the Garden of Gethsemane, do you guys know how they got oil out of an olive? By crushing and pressing it one, two, Three times. Crushing an olive three times is actually how you get the choice oil out, okay? You can actually visit the ancient cave where they would bring the harvested olives between two stones and grind them up. So I want you to keep this image in mind that in order to get the full oil out of the olive, you had to press, you had to crush them one two, three times. And it's those same three times that Jesus is pressed and he's crushed in the garden. 
And just like oil comes out of an olive, Jesus' crushing produces the oil that gave him the anointing to face the cross. And I know that that's hard. Because when we're in grief and loss, man, we just want to get out of it. We want to get through it. We want our circumstances to change, to resolve. But the reality is that Jesus praying three times is actually teaching us to wait in the confusing in-between, which is the second step to biblical grieving. A confusing in-between is a time period when you're in a grieving process where nothing makes sense, quite honestly. You can't see what will come next. You don't know the future. You don't know how to respond. You don't see what God's doing. You don't understand. And here's the challenge. Here's actually the threat. When we're in a confusing in-between, we're always tempted to find some kind of a reason or an explanation for our suffering. To actually be able to identify people to blame for what's happening to us, or we try to interpret God's will, or even worse, we try to tell other people what's happening to them and how they should feel. Guys, when my son Andy was born, my husband and I, man, we were in a confusing in-between of grief. We didn't know what God was doing. We couldn't make sense of it. We were hurting. We were trying to cope with a newborn on top of a special needs diagnosis. It was terribly confusing and hurtful. And do you know what the worst part of that time period was? That in the middle of my confusion and all of my pain and all of my grief, a lot of people would actually come to me and say, God gives special children to special parents, Kyra. Can I just tell you how hurtful that was? Because at the end of the day, all children are a blessing from God. Every child is special and unique. So People telling me I'm somehow more special because now I have a son with disability is actually a platitude that means absolutely nothing, but it can actually feel very patronizing. That's the temptation of waiting in the confusing in-between. That if we try to fix people, or we actually try to explain to people or to ourselves what God is doing, we can actually cause a lot of damage. Because here's the thing, here's the key, church. Journeying through grief and loss is not about making sense of everything that happens to us. And that is very emotionally unsatisfying. But the reality is, grief and loss is about remaining open to God's love and to the way that He wants to transform us in the midst of our waiting. So how do we do that, church? How do we position ourselves to allow God to be able to transform our hearts in the midst of a confusing in-between. Well, I'm gonna give you three things to do as you wait. And the first one is, I want you to relax in Jesus. Everybody say, relax. In fact, let's all take a deep breath and say, relax. Relaxing in Jesus simply means that we put all of our trust and our belief in him. At one point, Jesus asks his disciples, or sorry, his disciples asked Jesus, what must we do? What must we do, Lord, to do the works that God requires? In other words, they wanted to know, Lord, what's the one thing that we need to do to make sure that we're doing the work of God? 
I'm sure the disciples thought, well, you know, he's going to tell us that we got to pray. We got to join a dream team. We got to, you know, study the Bible. We got to give. No doubt. All those things are important. Okay. But surprisingly, Jesus actually says there is only one work to do. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's it. Believe in him. Believe in Jesus means you put your trust in Jesus in an ongoing, moment by moment, minute by minute, day by day kind of way. We relax in Jesus when we're with him, even in the midst of our storms and our disappointments. In fact, when we experience less anxiety in our bodies, we actually know we're relaxing in Jesus. When we don't, we, we don't do more for people than we should, or we feel less triggered when things actually go wrong, we're relaxing in Jesus. And what Jesus is saying to his disciples is, if you get this right, if you make it your work to relax in me, I'm going to take care of the rest. The second thing we need to do is detach for Jesus. Now, how do we detach? Well, we surrender to the unknown. We remain open to however the events wants to unfold, and we release all of the ways that we are attached to our own outcomes. Because to detach to G for Jesus is actually to cling only to Jesus and pray that we get not what we want, but that we can be surrendered to Christ's will. Now, I just want to recognize that is really hard. Okay, I shared earlier about a grief that I'm currently navigating. If I'm transparent with you, there are days when all I want is to apply all of my intelligence and all of my competencies and micromanage this situation and so that I can manufacture the results that I want. I'm not detached. I'm actually quite attached and not just to my husband. You know what I'm saying? So this is a hard process that takes years. In fact, this is the process that we see Jesus navigate in the garden. We actually start to see Jesus move through a process that takes him from denial, he's attached to his own outcome, to acceptance. Jesus is detached from everything except the Father's will. First, he struggles to accept the Father's will. He's clearly asking God, can you take this cup from me? Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is at all possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Now I want you to understand, there is a massive pause between those two last sentences. Between Jesus begging to be spared, my father, if it is at all possible, may this cup be taken from me. To then submitting to his father's will. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. The problem is we typically read them as if they were uttered one after the other, but this isn't Jesus as the spiritual superhero we like to cast him in. This is the Jesus who is entirely human, like us, in his body, in his emotions, in his mind. He's wrestling and agonizing with the idea of the cross for hours. And when his request to be spared from the cross actually goes unanswered, Jesus prays again. 
And we see him start to move from struggling to accept the father's no to finally rising up to embrace his father's will. He becomes detached to everything other than his father's will. Verse 42 says he went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Verse 44 actually says Jesus went away once more and prayed the third time saying the same thing. Translation, Jesus is detached from everything except the Father's will. He's saying, Father, if this is your will for my life, then may it be done. He's learning to obey God and God's will through what he's suffering. And I think that everything that's happening in the Garden of Gethsemane is actually meant to remind us of another garden, the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve were tempted to eat the forbidden fruit. Because as they stood before the tree of knowledge, their prayer was in essence, God, not your will, but my will be done. But in Gethsemane, Jesus is faced with a choice to save his own life or obey his father and die for the sins of the world. And his prayer was actually the reverse. Not my will, but your will be done. Understand, guys, this process takes time. It takes days, months, years to actually go from asking God to change your situation to actually allowing him to change your heart and be able to totally surrender. Where you actually declare, I'm releasing all of my outcomes. God, you're stripping me of my expectations. You're stripping me of my dreams, my anxieties, my self-will until we're finally able to declare, God, I want what you want. I want what you think is best, not what I want. That's what detaching in Jesus means. So relax in Jesus, trust him, detach for Jesus. And then the third and last thing that we can do as we wait in the confusing in between is to listen to Jesus. Guys, here's the reality. We all want a spiritual life, but we all want to be in charge of it. We actually want it unfold to our schedule and in our way, but following Jesus is not first doing things for him. It's actually first listening to him so that we can do what he wants us to do. And that's the transformation that grief and loss can have when we actually position our hearts to receive what God wants to do in us, in us and through us in this loss. We don't know how long it took for Jesus to arrive at this point. And this is an important part of the story and part of the grieving process because there are many things that impact the amount of time that you need to grieve. The deeper the loss, the more time that you're gonna need. For example, the loss that's felt when you know, one of your kids leaves home for college is very different from the loss that's experienced if that kid were to die tragically. So the key is not censor what you feel, not rush through the process, because by taking all the time that he needed, God, during the confusing in between, Jesus is actually able to speak words of surrender. He's actually able to obey. And that became the turning point for all of humanity. He reversed the curse of sin and he restored paradise. Which brings us to the third and final step of biblical 
grieving. Let the old birth the new. Biblical grieving is not just about letting go. It's also about letting it bless us. Guys, the great grief about our losses is that they're final. We can't get them back. At times, navigating through grief and loss feels like we're coming undone, like walking in a dark tunnel and we don't know when or if any light will come again. And we see this happen with Jesus himself. We've never again experienced Jesus as a human walking here on earth among us. His season came to an end, but listen to me now, his death was not final. On Good Friday, Jesus hung on a cross and died for the sins of the world. And three days later, his resurrection became the magnet that draws the whole world to himself. Through the death of Jesus, God birthed something better in the lives of every believer. A new beginning for all of us where we could have now restored and loving relationship with the Father, where Jesus made us righteous so that we can stand on his perfection in front of the God of the universe. So understand embracing endings, the deaths of this life is the pattern of life for every Christian. Where the way to life is through death and the pathway of resurrection is through crucifixion. But if we allow God to let the old birth the new in his time, we will be blessed. Guys, there are many, many deaths in this life. But when we embrace our losses, we're able to journey through our grief like Jesus did. We move from an immature, shallow prayer life centered on gimme, 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 help me, help me, help me, bless me, bless me, bless me, to a prayer life that's actually more characterized by loving union with God. We, we become people who are able to trust the living God with all of our many deaths. We're able to understand suffering actually brings transformation and resurrection only comes out of death. How do I know this? Because I have lived through it. It's actually what happened to me. Guys, I joined Jesus in the garden for three years when it came to our son, Andy. Any special needs parents will tell you when you first get that diagnosis, there is so much shock. There is so much disbelief. There's denial, this can't be true, this can't be happening to my family. I remember holding my son to my chest, newborn Andy, praying the lab results with his tests would come back negative. I literally bargained with God, I said, God, I will do anything, anything, God, anything that you ask. If you take this cup from me, if you bring back a negative test, for Down syndrome, Lord, I will do anything. And when that test came back positive, man, I struggled to accept the Father's no. I was angry. How could God let this happen to me? I've served him all my life. Why would he do this to my family? Church, it took me a full year just to be able to say the words Down syndrome without wanting to burst into tears. You want to talk about getting crushed and getting pressed? That was pressing number one for me. By year two, I discovered, man, kids with DS are extraordinary. I love my son so much. But then we moved here to the U.S. 
And that became pressing number two. That was grief upon grief to now leave our family and come to New Jersey. Then when my son was also diagnosed with ADHD, that became pressing number three. And it wasn't really until year three that I was finally able to open up my fists and allow God to change my prayers, even though he didn't change my situation. To go from my will for my son and my family to actually embracing and accepting his will for my life. And can I just encourage you today my son is 10 years old and there is such a sweetness in the oil that God produced in us through this process. I wouldn't trade my boy for anyone in the world. I couldn't imagine our family without him. I am so proud to be his mom. He's become one of my best teachers in life, but I want you to understand it is beautiful now, 10 years later, but it came from a lot of brokenness. Three years of pressing in the garden. So I guess what I'm saying is let the old birth the new. Because you're in a garden too. I know some of you are in the messy middle. And I want to encourage you to embrace an ending so that God can make space for a new beginning. Remember church, on the other side of the cross is resurrection. So I want to end today with the hope that we have in Jesus. God has something good for you in the future. I want you to know it, even if you may not see any hints of what that might be yet. But I promise you, embrace these losses for the severe mercies that they are, because God is going to do a profound work in you and through you, similar to what the Apostle Paul describes as death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. So before we end, I want to ask you a simple question. What is Jesus teaching you in your garden? Guys, for some of you, this is just putting words to where God has you or where you will be at some point. And I want you to believe that Jesus is doing a deeper work in your heart. He's actually leading you through a dark night of the soul with the hope of what he's birthing on the other side. And so to end our time together, we're going to join Jesus in the garden by celebrating communion. Can you go there with me? Can you go with him? Let's go together. On your way in, you should have gotten a, cake, a communion cup. I want you to take it out now. But I want to invite you to take a moment to meditate on what our Savior went through to bring eternal life to you. Verse 37 says, He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Church, you know what we call that? Being flooded. Jesus was emotionally flooded, and some of you right now feel the same way. So I just want to invite you, let's take a moment, confess to the Lord, what are you sad about? Let's bring those tender emotions up to Jesus. The Bible says Jesus was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. 
You know what that's called? Dread. Jesus was dreading the cross. Is anybody here dreading something? Is there anything that's overwhelming you? Because if there is, I want you to give Jesus the same gift he gave his father, an open, grieving heart. Guys, on the other side of your pain, there's something new that God wants to birth in you. So let's actually take the bread, which represents the body of Christ, broken for you, and drink from the cup, his blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins as a sign of the promise of resurrection that's awaiting us on the other side. As you take the elements, I just want to pray for us. Father, I thank you for your invitation to join you in the garden. It's a hard invitation to say yes to. But I thank you that you carry us with you. I pray right now for my brothers and sisters, Lord. I pray like Jesus prayed. Is there any way, Father, that you can take this cup of suffering from them. Whatever situation, whatever loss they're grieving, whatever painful circumstance they find themselves in, whatever situation they're longing to be resolved, can you take it away, Lord? But God, if you can't, then I pray like Jesus prayed, Lord, we all do it. Let's just pray it all out loud together. Not our will but your will be done. I thank you for the words of surrender that Jesus taught us. And we pray them over our lives and over the lives of everyone under the sound of my voice. I thank you, Father. Pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.